Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sask Egg Today is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner. Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to SaskAg Today. Coming up on today's program, the Senate Committee on Agriculture and Forestry is in the midst of gathering information for a report into the status of soil health in Canada. The Senators were in Saskatoon yesterday. We'll hear from Alberta Senator Paula Simons on what they've been looking into. As you heard yesterday, Canadian wheat can make its way back to Vietnam without any restrictions now. We'll hear from the Director of Market Intelligence and Trade Policy with Cereals Canada, Leif Carlson, on what that means for this country. Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture has provided her weekly overview of the wheat market. We will have that coming up. And hopefully we will have enough time for part two of our interview with Reuters correspondent Rod Nickel, who was in Ukraine for three weeks this winter as he talked to farmers facing a number of challenges there due to the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture, otherwise known as SaskAg Today. But it's time now for your agriculture outlook with precision weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. The Senate Committee on Agriculture and Forestry is in the midst of gathering information for a report into the status of soil health in Canada. The Senators paid a visit to Saskatoon yesterday. Alberta Senator Paula Simons is the Deputy Committee Chair. Spent the last year embarked on a major and ambitious study of soil health in Canada. We made a trip in April to Guelph and we spent time at the University of Guelph at their Alora Research Station and now we're on a tour of Western Canada which I helped to instigate because Alberta and Saskatchewan are where some of the most fertile soil in the country is and the largest amount of arable soil in the country, I guess would be the fairer way of putting it. And I thought it was really important that my Senate colleagues saw the regenerative agricultural techniques that are being used in Alberta and Saskatchewan, saw what the dry land conditions were like here, and really saw the scale on which prairie farmers and ranchers operate, which is quite different than it is in central or eastern Canada. She says they made a number of tour stops yesterday. Yes, we started the day at the Glacier Media Discovery Farm, which was absolutely fascinating. So we saw some of the uh, soil trials and researchers that they are doing there. Then we visited the University of Saskatchewan and went to their agriculture school and saw some of the lab work that they're doing inside the building. And then we went to the University of Saskatchewan's Kernan Research Farm and met with the Dean of Agriculture and also with graduate students and undergraduates and watched them literally doing field work in a field. So, it, you know, it was very interesting. We met, as I say, with 
senior university faculty at the campus and then to see the undergrads working in the soil. So we really saw the whole scope of soil studies at the University of Saskatchewan. Simons describes what they else they will be seeing. We saw some of the sensors being trialed at the Discovery Farm, but we're going to be going to Olds College in Alberta in a couple of days from now, and that's sort of the mothership for that technology. So they're working in partnership with the Glacier Media Discovery Farm, and so we'll be going to Olds to get a more in-depth look at that technology, which is for sensing moisture in the soil, but also at Olds, they're doing a lot of really groundbreaking, you should pardon the pun, work on smart agriculture, you know, using drones and satellites and smart tractors to make sure that you're using just the right seeds and just the right fertilizers in just the right places. She says it's important for the public to understand soil health. I really hope that people are learning that there's a lot more below the ground than we see above the ground. I mean, I am a city girl from Edmonton, and I didn't understand until we started working on this study how important the soil microbiome is, that there are thousands and thousands of different tiny creatures, nematodes and worms and things much smaller than that, that are living in our soil and are part of the cycle. You know, and I've met with farmers who've said to me that our whole paradigm is backwards. We've talked for generations about feeding the plants. What we need to think about is feeding the soil. They say to me, if the farmer's job is to keep the soil healthy, the plants will take care of themselves. If we just think of the soil as a mechanism to make the plants grow, we've got it backwards. Simons likes what she's been hearing so far. What I think is really exciting is this new recognition that soil health is absolutely critical to fighting climate change. I did not understand, and I suspect most people don't understand, that the right agricultural techniques, whether it's for farming or for ranging cattle on pasture land, absolutely essential to sequestering carbon. When I heard carbon sequestration, I thought, oh, are farmers digging holes and they're like piping the carbon underground? No, no, no. The plants figured out carbon sequestration many millennia ago, you know, and we think we can do better with a $2 billion carbon sequestration plant. The plants are already sequestering the carbon. The trick is to use the right techniques to make sure that we are sequestering as much carbon as possible because healthy soil is drought resistant because it retains water. Healthy soil is flood resistant because it doesn't get inundated and it can absorb water. Healthy soil helps us to fix nitrogen and sequester carbon. So it isn't just a question of having healthy food, which is absolutely essential. We need food security in this country. We need to make sure that we have agricultural products to export. But our soil isn't just for feeding us. It's also for regulating planetary temperature, for helping us mitigate the impacts of climate change, and for helping us to find really green ways to go forward in production that we are not actually making uh, climate change worse, but that we are weaponizing agriculture to fight climate change and, and global warming. She tells us what the committee's plans are once they leave Saskatchewan and Alberta. We've already, as I say, been to Guelph, and a small delegation of us were in Rome earlier in July to attend the uh, Global Soil Partnership plenary session at the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, which was fascinating. At this point, we're sort of, you know, to use the racing term, rounding the clubhouse turn. We've spoken to lots of experts. What we need now to fill in the gap are people talking about specific strategies that we can use to encourage soil health and mitigate soil pollution and mitigate soil erosion. And we need to look at public policy considerations, like how do we structure insurance programs so that they're incenting farmers to use regenerative agriculture and not incenting them to basically plant cash crops on marginal land and then take the insurance settlement if the crop doesn't work out. 
our insurance system is kind of backwards too. So in the next set of our public hearings, when we get back to uh, Ottawa in September, we're going to be looking at public policy solutions. Then we will sit down, we will compile a report with recommendations to the federal government. But we don't want this report to just sit on a shelf and we don't want it to just go to the federal government. We want to make it very public to share it with the media, to share it on social media, to share it ourselves by going into classrooms, speaking to Rotary Clubs and 4-H Clubs and getting the word out. We want to really catalyze a public conversation with the general public, not just farmers, not just agrologists, to understand how vital soil health is to the future of our planet and the future of our economy. And as for when their work will be done... I used to work for a daily newspaper and I had daily deadlines. I used to work for CBC Radio and we had hourly deadlines. The Senate doesn't quite work that way. We were hoping to finish all of our hearings by the end of December and have the report out before the end of the Senate sitting in June of 2024. I am still hopeful that we can meet those deadlines, but I'm a deadline person and the Senate is not built the way journalists are. Alberta Senator Paula Simons is the Deputy Committee Chair of the Senate Committee on Agriculture and Forestry. She was speaking in Saskatoon yesterday. It's time now for the AgReview portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, AgReview. Six national farm organizations are raising concerns about unintended consequences from the federal government's underused housing tax that took effect last year. The Canadian Federation of Agriculture, Canadian Cattle Association, National Cattle Feeders Association, Fruit and Vegetable Growers of Canada, Ontario Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association, and the Canadian Canola Growers Association have signed a letter asking to have farms exempted from the requirement to file a return for each residential property each year. The tax on residential properties deemed to be vacant or underused was put in place with the intent of alleviating pressure on housing supply and to discourage foreign ownership. Homes that meet the Canada Revenue Agency's definition of underused can be subject to a 1% annual tax rate. Regardless of vacancy or foreign ownership, most Canadian corporations, partnerships and trusts are required to submit an annual form for every residential property they own. A single plant that showed up this summer on the edge of a southwestern Ontario cornfield is cause for concern among Canadian farmers. Ontario Provincial Weed Management Specialist Mike Cowbro says the plant in question, found in Wellington County, is confirmed as Palmer amaranth. The species has previously been dubbed the most troublesome weed in U.S. agriculture, but hasn't yet appeared in Canada in a significant way. Its only other recent known appearance in Canada outside Ontario was by a couple of plants in a southern Manitoba bean field in 2021. While the broadleaf weed is known for its physical height, up to 8 feet, and aggressive rate of spread, it's also infamous in the U.S. and elsewhere for its adaptability against herbicides, making it even more difficult to keep in check. Ontario Premier Doug Ford says the province is looking at returning land to the green belt that a developer recently sold. 
In a written statement today, Ford says the government learned the owner of two parcels in Ajax that were part of the Greenbelt land removal had listed the properties for sale. The premier says the owner of the properties did not tell the government it planned to sell, and the province is now looking at several options that include giving the land back to the Greenbelt. Ford says this is a warning to other owners of sites removed from the Greenbelt for housing to meet the government's conditions and begin building by 2025, otherwise that land would be returned to the Greenbelt. The Auditor General found earlier this month the province gave preferential treatment to certain developers when it removed land from the protected Greenbelt. North American farmers will get their first look at New Holland's new all-electric utility tractor with autonomous features when they visit the Farm Progress Show this week, held at Decatur, Illinois. New Holland is billing its T4 electric power tractor as a game-changing innovation that creates a new tractor class, Utility Electric. The company claims it will deliver better performance than diesel and pave the way for a new chapter in sustainable zero-emission farming. New Holland says the tractor is an ideal solution for lower horsepower field operations and is a good fit for multiple applications including mixed farms, hay and forage, dairy, livestock, greenhouse and specialty crops operations. Equipped with a lithium-ion battery pack, the T4 electric power delivers gradual power and continuous torque. Cannabis company Atlantic Cultivation has acquired the insolvent Tantalus Labs brand. Financial terms of the agreement were not immediately available. The deal includes Tantalus Labs brands and remaining inventory. Founded in 2012 by Dan Sutton, Tantalus entered bankruptcy and insolvency proceedings in late June. The company had to lay off more than 50 workers at its facility in Maple Ridge, B.C., owing millions to its main lender and millions more for unpaid excise taxes. Atlantic Cultivation is a vertically integrated cannabis company based in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. And be sure to listen to the latest Saskag Today podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will be back in one minute's time. Welcome back to Saskag Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's mainly sunny with smoke in the Yorkton-Melville region and 23 degrees. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. Soon, Canadian wheat can make its way to Vietnam without any restrictions. Vietnam's Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Development released a revised quarantine pest list which no longer includes Canada thistle, also known as creeping thistle. The Asian country had a zero-tolerance policy in place for creeping thistle since 2018, meaning any Canadian wheat that had it faced up commercial penalties up to a vessel being rejected. Director of Market Intelligence and Trade Policy with Cereals Canada, Leif Carlson, says it's a positive development. This is an example of, of where industry was, was pushing to have the restriction removed and, 
and also our, our, our federal agencies such as the Canada Food Inspection Agency who uh, was able to engage with, uh, with the Vietnam authorities and, and talk about the, the science and, and the risk behind thistle seeds and, and ultimately having this restriction removed is going to uh, allow Canada to participate in the Vietnam market again uh, going forward and any time that Canada is able to access a diverse set of markets that's going to be good for our industry and, and farmers. Carlson adds Cereals Canada was one of many within the ag industry which aided the federal government in its advocacy. We took the opportunity following the travel restrictions after the pandemic to visit with industry in, in market and you know and, and make sure that we, we understood the the, the situation that uh, our customers are facing there and, and to work with other groups, in, in, including uh, uh, the government, to put together a, a submission that outlined um, why uh, Canadian grains remain safe to, to import. The restriction had a profound effect on Canadian exports. Before it took effect, Canada shipped 200,000 metric tons of wheat annually to Vietnam, after that, the number went down to 20,000 metric tons a year. Carlson was asked whether Canada can reach pre-restriction levels again or even exceed it. We know that uh, in, in Vietnam, Canadian hard red spring wheat is, is used uh, alongside wheats from other uh, markets to make the, the banh mi loaves that are, are so popular in Vietnam. But, uh, you know, there's also been opportunities to sell uh, lower quality Canadian wheat when the, the, the growing and harvest conditions necessitate it. So, uh, you know, the amount of wheat that's going to go into to Vietnam in any year is, is also going to be a, a function of the quality Canada's got to sell. But when, uh, when the conditions are right, uh, you know, Vietnam has been a, a very important market for Canada. The decision takes effect on September 29th. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. live cattle futures for October closed at 181.47 today. That's down 7. December live cattle closed at 185.87, up 22. September feeder cattle closed at 254.02, down 25. October feeder cattle closed at 256.75, down 27. October lean hogs closed at 80.72, down 112. December lean hogs closed at 72.82, down 60. And that's the livestock market conditions. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture has provided her weekly overview of the wheat market. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. Weather problems, especially in Europe, have led to the production of more feed quality wheat this year. This puts special attention on hardware winter and spring wheat production in Russia and in North America. The verdict on the North American production and quality is still out, but the 2023 crop Russian spring wheat has mostly been harvested. According to USDA estimates, Russia produced 24.5 million tons of spring wheat this year, up half a million tons from last year's 24 million. 
Spring wheat production represents roughly 30% of, total, of the total Russian wheat crop. Fob wheat prices were mixed last week, with German and North American fob prices down, up for French wheat and mixed for Russian wheat, depending on quality and type of business quoted. In terms of cash trades last week, there still was not much activity and there were no major tender businesses concluded. Egypt only bought a small 60,000 ton on that tender in spite of receiving offers adding to almost 1.7 million tons. Taiwan bought 104,000 tons of milling wheat from the United States and the USDA weekly export sales report showed 406,000 tons of wheat sold. US export commitments are still down 18.5% on last year against the USDA projected decline of 7.5%. So now we have some comments on the markets by major wheat origin. And per usual, we are starting with Canada. The Saskatchewan spring wheat crop is about 13% harvested, with the eastern regions furthest advanced. Alberta spring wheat is about 12% harvested, and 44% are still shown in good to excellent condition. Alberta Egg made a yield estimate and assessed it at 39.1 bushel average yield. We are still calculating a 24 million ton spring wheat crop on the prairies, which is slightly higher than the average production estimate of 23.1 million tons shown in a Reuters production survey last week. Regarding U.S. hard red spring, as of August 21st, the U.S. hard red spring harvest is 75 complete in South Dakota, 60% in Montana, 41% in Minnesota, and 24% in North Dakota. Minnesota says that yields are better than anticipated, but in North Dakota, which is more important, yields have been variable, but a little better than expected. Montana reports no test weight issues as harvest progress and proteins are average. In terms of Canadian wheat exports, at 278,000 tons in week three, exports were decent, advancing year-to-date wheat exports to 903,000 tons for the first three weeks of the crop year. Grower deliveries increased again to 370,000 tons on the week, fueled by new crop deliveries. We think wheat markets should move higher in the new year when Russian pressure eases a bit, so storage might be important and we would be selling as little as possible right now. Moving on to Durham, about 26% of Saskatchewan Durham is in the bins. Alberta Act did not specify harvest progress, but said that 32% of Durham are in good to excellent condition. Yield results really remain all over the map, making an overall estimate very difficult. We are still using 4.2 million tons of Durham production for Canada, as we have discussed a couple of times now. We can add that the Reuters poll of 15 traders showed an average Durham production estimate of 4.3 million tons, but with a huge range in the estimates spanning from a minimum of 3.7 million to a high of 5.3 million tons, so that makes it almost a void. Regarding U.S. crops, the northern Durham harvest has been slow, 
with 33% of the crop harvested in Montana and only 15% in North Dakota. Crop ratings for this week in North Dakota showed 46% good to excellent and Montana was at only 10%. In North Dakota, yields and protein are expected to be below average for the remainder of the harvest. We still calculate roughly a North American production of 5.7 million tons, which would compare to 7.2 last year and 4.1 million in the drought-reduced 2021 season. The North American during supply, production plus carry-in, should reach about 6.7 million tons, down 20% from last year's supply. On the demand side, we think that U.S. Durham disappearance, um, including exports, should be around 3 million tons, and that for Canada, 4.5 to 5 million tons. If these numbers are correct, it would mean that North American supplies, including the export requirements, will be tight. We expect that exports will likely have to be rationed at some point in time over the next crop year. Bits for Durham and Saskatchewan have appreciated, reflecting both the reduced supply outlook and the need for quality Durham to blend in with a difficult European crop. 15 bucks has been big in Saskatchewan for number two a better quality. The one caution that we have is that Durham is already reflecting a high premium over spring wheat values. If those premiums get too high, some users will switch to hard wheat. Nevertheless, we would hold for now to see how yields and quality average out. Durham exports for week three were at 36,000 tons for year-to-date total of 103,000 tons. Moving on to the U.S., we have already talked about the spring wheat crop there, and the U.S. hardware winter harvest is winding down as well with less than 5% remi- uh, remaining. USDA's weekly export sales showed 406,000 tons of wheat was sold, which left the season total at 264 million bushel, still down 18.5% on last year. As mentioned, US wheat futures all closed at or near weekly lows last week. Australian wheat futures ended flat on the week as well. In Australia, the last El Nino year produced a 14.5 million ton crop, which reflected a 30% yield below trend, a yield 30% below trend. But today the USDA is still estimating a 29 million ton crop for Australia, which would be 5% above yield, yield trend. So this warrants keeping an eye on. In Argentina, Bosch raised, raised crop ratings by three points to 23% good to excellent, compared to 18% last year. The agency did note that the crop will need rain in the coming days to avoid further reductions in yield. Regarding India, we have heard nothing further regarding a potential Russian-Indian volume wheat deal. Again, this will need keeping an eye on. We wanted to add a note on weather in China because China has been gripped by weeks of rain and floods amid an unusually wet summer. And Chinese weather forecasters on Monday warned several provinces to expect more torrential rain and flash flash floods over the next two days as unrelenting downpours wreak havoc on the country. Again, we have to keep an eye on their production results. 
In the EU, disease and quality issues in the north increased the quality spreads. The European Commission lowered the estimate for wheat production by 300,000 tons to 126.1 million tons, with 23-24 ending stocks down 1.1 million to 16.3 million tons. Basically, the pace of harvest in the, EU, in the EU has been slow and quality concerns have been in the headlines because of consistent rainfall in August. Moving to the Black Sea, well, there seems to be another new floor price for Russian wheat, this time at $270 for 12.5% protein tender business and at $250 a ton for 10.5% protein tender business. Minimum prices for private commercial business seems to differ by $10 less. So the market is trying to digest what the changes in the Russian floor prices really mean. But meanwhile, soft red winter now looks cheap against both EU and Russian wheat, at least through first half October. On the Ukrainian side, the Ag Ministry called the harvest complete at 21.9 million tons. And some Eastern European countries are saying they will extend the ban on Ukraine imports indefinitely, with or without European uh, permission. But on the other hand, there are plans to significantly increase the Constanza shipment capacity. Either way, it seems that the wheat market is now ignoring the supply-side risk stemming from the Ukraine-Russia conflict. So, how to summarize all the goings-on? While U.S. wheat futures were down, while facing a strong U.S. dollar, renewed optimism for Ukrainian exports, record July-August Russian wheat export shipments, and U.S. sales that are lower by 18% against the U.S. projected only 8% decline. So these factors seem to outweigh the slow U.S.-Canadian spring wheat harvests, poor crop ratings, questions about Indian buying, and unfavorable southern hemisphere weather. So this market remains very complicated and influenced by politics, but we expect it to move higher in the new year when Russian pressure should ease. So storage is important, and we would be selling little for now. That's Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. Commodities Update. Canola futures closed up across the board today. November canola closed at 81.80. That's up $2.70. January canola closed at 8.18.40, up $2.60. September Minneapolis wheat closed at 7.55 and three quarters, down nine and a half cents. September Kansas City wheat closed at 7.14 and a half down 23 cents. September Chicago wheat closed at 5.69 and 3 quarters, down 18 and a quarter cents. September corn closed at 4.69 and a half, down 9 cents. September soybeans closed at 13.82 per bushel, down 13 and a quarter cents. September oats closed at 4.91 per bushel up eight and a half cents. And that's the commodities update. Please stay tuned, your Farm Bulletin Board will be coming up next. Farm Bulletin Board. 
The nomination period for director positions with both the Saskatchewan Barley Development Commission and the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission are open but are set to close soon. Sask Barley will have three director positions open. Sask Wheat will be looking to fill four open director positions pending regulatory approval to increase board size from seven to eight directors. The deadline to receive completed nomination forms for both organizations is next week, September 6th at 12 noon. Should the organizations receive more nominations than there are director positions available, elections will be declared and held during the period of October 19th through to November 29th. To be eligible to stand as a candidate, nominees must be registered producers, meaning they have had a Sask Wheat or Sask Barley checkoff deducted since August 1st of 2021 and have not requested or received a refund of checkoff in the last fiscal year for each respective commission. And of course, if nomination forms and election information can be found on the websites of each commission at saskbarley.com and saskwheat.com. And that's today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Filtered sun through smoke, winds southeast becoming 10 to 20 and a high of 27 degrees. For tonight, clear skies, smoke decreases, winds southeast at 15 to 25, and a low of 13. For tomorrow, partly to mainly sunny, winds southeast at 20, gusting to 35, a high of 28, an overnight low of 13. For Thursday, mainly cloudy, with a 50% chance of isolated showers, Winds north-northeast at 15 to 25 and a high of 21 degrees. For Friday, early cloud turning to sunshine, a high of 26. And for Saturday, mainly sunny, a high of 30. In the Paw, it's 19 degrees. Swan River and Show Lake Russell, 20. Dauphin, 17. Brandon and Roblin, 21. Regina and Saskatoon are at 28 degrees, Hudson Bay 20, Broadview Mooseman, Winyard Wadena Kelvington 25, Indian Head 26. The Yorkton Melville region has a mainly sunny sky but with smoke in the air, a north northeast wind at 4 kilometers an hour, 63% is the relative humidity. The temperature is 23 degrees, with the humidex it feels more like 28 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for Saskag today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. Saskag today has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner.